0: Thanks, Jen. Hey, everyone. It's, uh, it's fantastic to be here. I must be a little bit nervous because I brought my phone up, not my water bottle, so I might just swap that back. <laughs> Maybe it's just course of habit. Hey, um, I've just been um, pondering on, on what I was going to talk about today, and um, I guess for me, one of the things that happened when I was a new believer was that... Um, I had an incredible, what I call a honeymoon year um, when I first met the Lord. So I had a um, quite a supernatural conversion. Um, I was saved out of addiction. And uh, I had this amazing encounter with God where he showed up and spoke to me. And I was fairly close to dying uh, when that happened. So if he hadn't have broken into my life, then... Um, you know, I wouldn't be here today and have a beautiful family and beautiful wife as I do. So I've been absolutely thoroughly blessed beyond any of my dreams. But God intervened into my life. And, you know, one of the things that I think about and I've thought, why didn't I get saved or or meet Jesus when I was five years old? How come, like, God waited for such a long time? And I guess it's because I had the wrong mindset. Like, I used to think that God would just... Do what he wanted to when he wanted to, but I realise now that's not true. God was actually waiting for me to be ready, and um, you know I've heard it say that the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, and so so God just waited. You know he waited, and in fact, right through history we see that. You know one of the one of the problems that. I've really had in my understanding of the Bible as being how come God was so mean in the Old Testament but so nice in the New Testament. Like I could just never figure that one out. And and there's a really good reason but unless we understand the breakdown and the historical context of the Old Testament we'll never understand that. What, a, what actually happened was that like me See, God gave me the freedom to choose, and in fact, it's that, that started really early. Actually, when Adam was in the garden, God gave him a mandate: said you can do anything you want, but don't eat from that tree. You know, he said, he, he said, sub, he said, subdue and multiply, and uh, etc. But, but he basically he said you've got freedom in the garden, but just don't eat of that tree. And so. And then he didn't stay there and control Adam and say, you've got to do it this way and that way and stuff like that. He headed off and left Adam and Eve to it. And he came back in the cool of the evening and walked with Adam. And so right back then, Adam and Eve were born into a war because there was an enemy already there. And God's strategy right back then was that of relationship relationship. So God said I'm having a relationship with you Adam and Eve And as we walk together and talk together And you know what I'm really like Then you will have my wisdom And you will gain and grow your own wisdom But Adam and Eve had free choice And I had free choice And we all have free choice So going back to the Old Testament God came to the children of Israel after they left Egypt, and he said, I want to be your God and I want you to be my children, essentially. He was saying, I want to offer you the best type of covenant there is. It's called a royal grant covenant. And the children of Israel had been in slavery for 400 years and they just went, That's just too much for us to deal with. We just, we can't handle that freedom because I've been slaves for such a long time. So they said, No, we don't want that. We just want a bunch of rules. And so God said, well, if that's what you want, then that's what you shall have. And so what God did was he gave them a thing called a kinship covenant, which Sally talked about last week. And so you have to understand that in those days that the laws of the land were covenants. So like today we have a whole bunch of laws And in those days they had a whole bunch of laws And that was was what their covenant was about It was a lot more than that But essentially their laws of the land were in that covenant And so most of the covenants in the ancient world Were really harsh Like their laws were really harsh Like if you stole you lost your hand If you lied you got your tongue cut out And there was a lot of mutilation in a lot of the covenants They were pretty barbaric And so so what they were asking for was something that was quite opposite to God's heart. And In fact, I believe that God was really, really grieved. Well, God was really, really grieved when they said no. Because the alternative was not pretty. And so Moses went up the hill and got the Ten Commandments. And he came down and there were two tablets which were an identical copy. Because each party in the covenant always had an exact copy. So that's just the way it worked in those days. So that it was like two legal documents. Um, and so, and so the the children of Israel did really badly. Like they kept breaking the rules, and so God was bound because of the way covenants work to punish. But He kept pardoning, and He kept pardoning, and He kept pardoning. And so then, when Moses died, it was time for the covenant to be renewed, and so the covenant got renewed to Joshua. And so then it became, and, and so the covenant was always assessed, and the assessment went badly because the children of Israel had failed so miserably. So then it dropped down to the next covenant below it. And the book of Deuteronomy is an exact, is, is written in the exact way that a covenant is written. And so, basically, the book of Deuteronomy is an, is, an, is, a, is, is an ancient world covenant document. That's what it is. It's got five parts to it. They were all written the same way in all the different cultures. and the Canaanites and the Jebusites, they all had covenants, and they were all written exactly the same way. And so, it went down to the lowest form of covenant. And so, that's what we today would refer to as the mosaic covenant. And so, it was the worst covenant. And so if you understand that the children of Israel had free choice and chose that themselves, that does not reflect in God's nature. And so when I understood that, I because I guess the thing is, is that for whatever reason, a lot of people today, have they interpret the Bible with a private interpretation. And so... When I first became a believer, I had this amazing freedom in this honeymoon year that was incredible. And then when I started to go to church, in the church I was in, I started to get discipled out of that freedom. So I had this tension, and the tension was between an amazing freedom um, with my experiential relationship with God, which is amazing, which we really do have in this church, and then this theology that I was being taught. And the theology was really detrimental to my freedom. So I had this kind of underlying um, battle going on, you know. I had this kind of war, you know, going on in my soul. And I really struggled, you know. And, and I worked in evangelism for 10 years, and even the gospel that I preached was really based on really a law, a form of legalism, you know. And, and so we would listen to things like The Way of the Master by Ray Comfort which is completely based in the Mosaic Covenant, which doesn't... So when Jesus created the New Covenant, and incidentally, in the Greek, the word for New Testament and New Covenant is the same word. So you could say the New Testament is the story of the New Covenant. It's actually the same word. So when Jesus made the New Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant was completely finished. Now, that's partly true because the Jewish people were still worshipping in the ritual ways and they still had the legal records of the Levite priest so they knew which bloodline the correct priest was and so they could still worship. But when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, that was the end of it because all the records were destroyed of the Levite priests. So there was no more legal so – so, so what they did is they – They came to a a, sort of a rabbinical priesthood, which is currently still there today. So we went from the Levite bloodline priesthood to to a rabbinical priesthood because the temple was completely destroyed. And I've just finished reading an account of the destruction of the temple, and it was gut-wrenching. Basically what happened is is that the Jewish people turned against Rome, declared um, all-out war on Rome, and Rome, basically, after three attacks against Jerusalem, completely annihilated and destroyed Jerusalem. And the, the accounts are just horrendous. So if you know of a, a gentleman called Josephus, who was actually, he was a Jew that was also a Roman citizen, and he wrote that account. And there was four writers, but but Josephus was the, um, was the one that had the most accurate account. And I, I guess, for me, having been a Christian for twenty so years and never having understood something as basic as that, I kind of felt I kind of felt like I was a bit robbed, you know. Because here's the here's here's the thought that that I have um, is that, like, God is good, and if we believe. That God is good on every level We are powerful and free So if there's this underlying level of theology That counters that We have a tension The other influence as well that we have had um, Has been the influence of the Greek thinking Now you can say with Greek thinking um, Can you understand the truth about about God and Christ um, With a Greek mindset Absolutely you can So then how did that influence us, you may ask? Well, it influenced us because what happened was is that there were some Greek philosophers and there were the Greek gods that they had. And so there was a very strong filter or mindset that came from the Greek gods through the Greek culture. It's a little bit like, um, I was thinking about it this morning, if you had, say, a whole lot of Hindus converting to Buddhism, they're going to bring a lot of the Hindu flavor through into the Buddhist religion um, and so that's kind of what happened so so the, the Greek mindset about a god was what we call dualistic like two exhaust pipes so they believe this they believe that there's an earth and there's a heaven and they're completely separate they're totally separate so we're on the earth and god is in heaven so that's a greek dualistic mindset they also believe that god was pretty much unapproachable that you could he could never change his mind he was all powerful nothing could ever move him um, you know he was he he made everything happen and, and you know, if you listen to the atheist arguments against Christianity today, it comes from a mindset of them seeing God through a Greek God mindset or filter. And so they said, and I've, I um, watched a interview with Stephen Fry, if you know who Stephen Fry is, and he was very vehement against Christianity. He said, I would never worship a God that causes child cancer and sickness and wars and cancer and stuff like that. But that's coming from a Greek-influenced, um, Greek God mindset. And when we understand that actually God gives us freedom of choice, that God is good. So, so we look at the world and we go, yep, the world is a real mess. And if we want to see what our Father in heaven looks like, we look at Jesus. Because the Bible says that he, was, he is the express image of the Father. And that's a big thought. So you want to know what the Father's like? You just look at the life of Jesus. Now to me, Jesus kind of looked very human in lots of ways. He was very compassionate. He was very wise. In fact, if you ask me, I would say that he was the picture of a healthy person. You know, he wasn't moved by the Pharisees and religion. He was quite anti them. He extended his hand out to people that were being beaten up and hurt um, he wanted to raise people up he saw the big picture of you know um, people feeling pain and he always extended grace um, and yeah so so for me that's that's very helpful and encouraging I'm just I'm just going to switch to another thought here. Um, This is a thought, and this this came to me about three days ago. So, when with Adam and Eve in the garden, so you've got Adam, Adam and Eve were given authority and dominion over the earth, and the the devil was there, and the devil had no power at that point. So, but he was there. So then. The devil directly challenged the very nature of God And the devil basically said God was telling you a lie Because he's being selfish That's basically what the devil said And so he was very crafty And so Adam and Eve made made the mistake of listening to what the devil said Which was definitely a, a pretty big mistake And The fall happened, and you know, etc., etc., and then the Bible says the second Adam came. And what I realized was that the second Adam actually restored things back to how they were before the fall. And so, the second Adam, which is Jesus, was given the authority back, and the devil was there still, but the devil had no authority. Because the Bible very clearly says that Jesus led the devil and all of the demons in public display. And, and, and the picture there is that, is that when a town is conquered, then all of like the mayor and all of the officials get all chained up and they get paraded through the town in public display so that the conquering army can just say, Hey, hey guys, we have won, we're now the ruling power here. And so that's the picture that it says, and I think it's in the book of Colossians. It, it gives that picture, and so the devil's kingdom lost its authority; it was defeated. Okay, so it's back. So now we're back, and so then Jesus said, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I therefore send you." So He gave the church that authority, which is us today. So in a sense, Jesus restored. Back, what Adam and Eve had lost, because he was the second Adam. And so that's today. So there's just a little test that I like to use. And, I, and, so, and so the test that I use is God is good. And so in, in, in James it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. First John says, He did not. He who does not love does not know God because God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so there's a whole pile of verses that talk about the nature of God. So here's my test. Does it look like God? And there's a whole pile of theologies out there. And so, so what you say is, is there freedom for us in it? Do we have free choice? And is it coming from a good father? So there's some pretty big doctrines out there that you can apply that to, and you can kind of go, well, does that pass that test? And a lot of them you have to say, no, it doesn't. Um, I'll, j- I'll just give you one example. And 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 this is and I'm I'm not going to say anything more, but I'm just going to say apply this to this test. Okay. So the end times tribulation and rapture Which came from a woman's vision Who was deathly ill on her deathbed Who was in a move of the Holy Spirit Who had a vision And from that vision was given to another man called Irving Who was one of the very early fathers of the Pentecostal movement Which was then championed by a man called um, J.N.D. Darby Who is the father of the exclusive brethren which was then championed by a man called um, Schofield. And so Schofield was pretty tricky um, or very clever. He published his first edition of the Schofield Bible just after a real move of the Holy Spirit in the early 1900s. And when he published that first edition, a lot of A lot of the believers in the world at that time had experienced an amazing move of the Holy Spirit. So he believed in a thing called cessationism, which means that the gifts ceased after the apostles died. There were no gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that was in his Bible. And he also talked about the tribulation and the end times rapture. And so that was in there as well. Well, So most of the Pentecostal pastors and congregation rejected that Schofield Bible because it had cessationism in it. So he released a second edition about fifteen years later and he took out the cessation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit out. Well, everyone grabbed it. Now the reason everyone grabbed it is because in those days you had your big Bible and you had your shelves of theology books. And they were separate. And what he did is he's very clever. He was the first person that ever put the a commentary inside a Bible. And that's why it sold so, so he was in a sense a groundbreaker. Um, to do that, and it was very, very popular, and that's why his Bible was so incredibly popular. And so that's the Schofield Bible. So any case, that's just the history of... of, of and uh, So it's only been around since um, 1830, the theory of the rapture, and, and the end times tribulation and things like that. In case, that's a whole subject, I'm not going to go into it. But, um, but, but here's the question. If God is good, would God to his church, which is the new covenant, and just keep in mind that the perfect son made a a covenant with the perfect father that can never be broken. It will never be broken. There will never be another covenant. Because Jesus cannot break the covenant with his father. Okay? Okay? So that was the beginning of, you know, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. So that, you know, when Jesus in teaches how to pray, he prayed that. So he's praying thy kingdom come. Because that perfect relationship between the Father and the Son, and we are in the Son, so it can never be broken. So there will never be another covenant. That's it. That's the last one. We're in it. So in that covenant, is God, a good God, going to predict to us we lose and the devil wins? When the devil's actually already lost, like it says in the Bible, very clearly the devil lost and his kingdom's been disempowered. So something's going on here. So what's actually going on here? Like, I'm just picking on that one particular theology, but something's going on here. So what is it? If the people with authority... It's like if you go into a war and you're a soldier, but yet you've been told that you're not a soldier and you've never been taught how to shoot your gun and you've been told you just go in there and you've just got to surrender because actually the war's going to be won by the other side so just don't even worry about being trained. You know, just go in there and... And, yeah, the gun's kind of cool but it's kind of just like a token, you know. You're not really supposed to use it. And so that... Army goes into war. How are they going to do? <laughs> so that's what Satan tried to achieve. He's tried to persuade us that actually we have no power, we have no authority. We've already lost. We've got no hope. The devil's going to win. We're just going to get taken out. You know, um, it's a little bit like having a wedding, and you're going to prepare the wedding. So you're going to choose all of the things from the shop and decorate the place up beautifully and. And then then a a business owner rings up and says, hey, we're going to um, organise your entire wedding for you. You don't have to worry about it. And then you get so busy with the other preparations. Then the day before the wedding comes and you realise that um, you haven't heard back from the person that was going to organise um, all of these decorations for you. And then you don't ever hear from them because they were a liar. And then you have the wedding and a whole lot of it's not ready. So it's a kind of a little bit like that, really. Um, and, you know, I, I really love the fact that as a church, you know, we really believe that God is good and and that we, we really have a heart to wrestle for this because, you know, we're told to fight the good fight, you know. And I see that a lot of the church has been taken captive. And I really believe that um, one of the things that we need to do is to be an example of people who understand what it is like to operate out of kingdom. And uh, I just think it's so important, you know. And I've just got a video clip that I want to play. It's, um, it's Graham Cook. And I think for me, this really displays, and this is about personal ministry to one person, but this really displays the heart of God. and 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 I think that when we go out and we reach people and tell them the good news, Um, we really want to go out with an accurate representation of our Father so that our Father's nature is is accurately represented in us, that we're not going to put a whole lot of demands and a whole lot of regulations and a whole lot of laws on people, but we're going to go out and just love people. And you know, God isn't a controlling God up there telling us what to do. If he said go out there and tell people about the good news, he's going to give us everything we need. And I've seen this this um, principle, which I would call a tipping point in Christianity. If you, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. He's a business writer, and he talks about when something when a culture changes, it's like you try really hard, and and then all of a sudden it tips, and then that product will go into a culture. So that's what he talks about. And I've watched people who have really um, wrestled for something. They've really pulled in or pushed in for something and put a lot of hard work in. Then all of a sudden something changes. And they seem to just walk naturally in the miraculous. They seem to be able to read people's mail and they seem to be able to bless people. But they've contended for that. And they've done the hard yards in the in, in the secret place. They've... They've, they've, you know, like Fatu, I said, How did you learn how to get words of knowledge for people? We said, Well, I was a truck driver. Well, he, he is a truck driver. And he said, he said, I would drive to my next client and I'd pray and I'd say, Lord, give me a word for the next person I meet. And he did that for about two and a half years and he started to get good at it. But that's, he contended. He contended. So he did the hard yards. And then I believe it's kind of like he hit a tipping point. Now, what I notice is that when we go out on the streets with Fatu, and and the team, that when we prophesy, it's just kind of like we're plugged straight into for heaven. It's amazing, and and I love watching Fatu because he'll walk up to people and say, "Have you ever felt the presence of God?" And they'll say no. And he said, "Would you like to?" And they'd say yes. And then they get hit with the power of the Holy Ghost. Or I mean, I, there's a whole lot of stories, but you know, maybe Fatih will tell you some of them. But um, he, I see some pretty cool stuff, and so he is, you know, in a sense, been leading a team to. So he's demonstrating to catch what something that he's got, and we see lots of people blessed. You know, not everyone that that he touches comes to the Lord and ends up in our church, but that's the nature of evangelism, because. Because, you know, some people aren't quite ready to come into a church. And, some, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But, in any case, I just love to play this video, and it's Graham Cook, it's great. Um, and I'm just, so when um, the video is played, I'll just say a couple of things, and then um, I'm just going to hand over to Jen. And so, if you're touched by this video um, from Graham, and you'd like to respond, then there will be a ministry team here for you to come up to. Um, but yeah, if we could just maybe have the lights in the video when you're ready, that'd be great. Thanks, guys. I was, uh, doing some yeah, the reason that I just wanted to show that video clip was because um, that, to me, accurately represents God's nature. And I think he, he said some really great things in there. And for me, I love God; He's been so good to me, and I want to contend that he, for the fact that He is accurately represented and I think in this house in this church, we're doing a really good job at fighting for that. but let's keep pushing on let's let's you know let's have a little bit of Berean influence you know, where we don't just A lot of the things I was taught, I just believed them because I didn't have a reason not to believe them. But then when I saw another side, I went, why did I believe that stuff? And so the thing that's happening to me is I'm starting to understand how good God is on a daily basis. The other thing that's exciting to me is is that I believe that that God restored us. The second Adam has restored us the church or Jesus back and then we're in Jesus back to that place of authority and the devil's been disempowered. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is we need to tell people that good news. And as we accurately portray a true image of a loving father, the world will come to us. The broken, the hurting, the dishonest will come to us and we'll be able to minister to them and we'll be able to see what Graham Cook was talking about coming into their hearts. So two challenges today. Let's all contend together. And let's put that test up. Does this look like the nature of God? Because it's a great test. I'd just like to hand over to you now,